Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just done episode 38 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. 38, that's outstanding. Who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Anya Stoddart. That's a lovely name. And what are you talking about with Anya? Well, about how meditation healed the relationships that she had with her parents in the weeks leading up to their deaths and afterwards. Well, that's quite an uplifting story this week, do you think? It is. Is there any porcupine references? No, but we did also talk about the anatomy of tears and donating your body to medical science. That sounds interesting. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest and I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences, but also the impact that hearing these stories may have on you, the listener. Please take care as you listen. Today I'm chatting with Anya Stoddart, an acupuncturist and teacher of meditation. Anya had never had a hugely close relationship with her father, and when he developed dementia in later life, the connection that they did have was lost even further. Anya found herself turning to meditation, which in turn helped both her relationship with her father, her mother, and ultimately herself. Welcome along, Anya. Thank you, Rachel. It's brilliant to be here. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on today to talk about the relationship that you had with your father, both during his life and and post-death, and how that changed then with the development of your meditation practice. So that seems like a a good place to start, um, is what was the relationship with your father like? So I was always, I always knew that my father loved me, but he was of that sort of um, culture and generation. So he was Ukrainian um, and also of that generation, which thought that girls should be brought up by their mothers. So up until about the age of eight, I would play out in the garden when he was working in the garden and hammer bits of wood together in the shed when he was working in the shed. But yeah, around about eight years old, he decided that I shouldn't be out there doing things with him. I should be doing things with my mum, which I wasn't too impressed about, really. But that that was just how it was. And you just get on with it. So that sort of really started the distance between us where there wasn't any direct conversation or very easy conversation between us ever. So, yeah, I mean, it it got to a stage when I was in my 40s, sort of 30s, 40s, when I would visit home. He would I'd be sitting in an armchair and he'd be standing right next to me and say to my mum, does Anya want a cup of tea? You're like, I'm right here. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So really distant from his perspective. Yeah. So, um. And sort of thinking back now, you start to go, is that the start of some dementia going on or is it was it just an expression of the difficulty he felt as well as me? And I'd I'd realized there was this, you know, something's not happening here for quite some time. And I and I did want to try and do something about it. But it was incredibly difficult because my mum had chronic mental health problems And so whenever I was home, she would completely dominate all of the time, all of your headspace that you were there. It was incredibly difficult to, you know, 
pop down the garden with dad and have a little chat um, in any way where you could try and open up the conversation any more than, you know, how are your potatoes growing? Yes. So, yeah, so by the time he was getting dementia and, you know, obviously it's a degenerative disease and the ability between you to communicate gets more and more difficult anyway. Yeah. And I was like, um, I need to do, I need to do something. Perhaps I can do it on a metaphysical plane with my meditation. So I trained in a Buddhist type of, type of meditation and they have um, a belief that you can influence and communicate with people, radiating calm, radiating strength and share, you know, how you're feeling with them and that can have a positive impact on them had you already been practicing meditation by at that point yeah i've been practicing for quite some time by then because of recognizing my dad was getting older and i needed to do something to try and resolve this relationship blockage um i needed to do something about my relationship with mum because she just made me incredibly angry because she'd been difficult you know since what well, since I was a child and I'd always been had a lot of responsibility in trying to keep her spirits up and things so there was a bucket load of stuff that I needed to sort out which I was like okay I know meditation will help me with this because I'd worked as a yoga teacher so I knew a fair bit of what meditation could do yeah so uh, that's one of the reasons why I got into it so one of the things that I did as a way of trying to understand my dad better, I came up with this idea of visualizing him as a tree uh, in a plane of grasses. And I just kept meditating on this image day after day. And gradually these sort of intuitive ideas would come through to me. So I realized that my dad was this tree on the plane and he was completely comfortable and happy where he was. It looked like he was lonely and isolated, but actually he wasn't because he could communicate with the wind and he could communicate with the grasses. So then there was this, you know, this beautiful image of all of this movement going on and that he was in exactly his right spot for him. And, you know, and it was okay. So that was, um, yeah, that sort of sense of, okay, he's okay. That was a really nice realisation for me. Gave me the um, the impetus then for when we knew he was going to die. So he had an ulcer in his foot, which became gangrenous. And um, there wasn't anything they could do to you know, prevent its development or or help him at that stage. So we knew he had two or three weeks left to live at that stage. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, for him to know that I was there for him, even though I couldn't physically be in the room with him. Um, and also, you know, even if you are physically in the room with him, the dementia meant that he wouldn't really necessarily know who you are. No. So I researched um, a meditation that I could do that I, I wanted something that would help smooth his passing over and help sort of soothe him and soothe me at the same time um, and in some way for him to know that I'm with him to help him 
So um, I read one of the books that I read in my research is the Tibetan book of living and dying. And that had a practice in which is a 49 day practice. But you can start the 49 days starts after the person has died. But you can start it. Well, I started it beforehand because I adapted the ideas that were in there to um, suit the situation. So I started doing that meditation about three weeks before he died and I did it every day. And in it, I'm visualizing that we have a connection and that I'm sending him love and well-being and that, you know, I'm hoping that everything can go as smoothly as it can. And at that time, you sort of, well, I hope it's working. It feels the right thing for me to do. I feel like I can do something rather than nothing. So I'm not feeling helpless. And that was that was powerful enough in itself. And I was, you know, hoping he was getting it. Yes. Yeah. And then um, when he died, I then started off the the 49 day practice itself. And then the interesting thing about it was about a couple of weeks after I'd started there was a change in how the meditation felt and it felt like there was a there was a going away on his part which made me then realize that he had been present before and so there was this like oh i think he was actually getting it getting it and yeah. that that was uh that was incredible um i'd done this meditation on the day of his funeral and I'd really hoped that he was getting it that day as well. And it, it felt like a good and right thing to do. And my my gut feeling on that day was that I think he's getting it. But that slightly more sense of surety didn't come until there was this change in how it felt when I was meditating. And the, the sort of, um, well, I suppose you'd call it a closeness type or a connected feeling felt a bit different. And... Um, so yes, that was when I suddenly went. Oh, I think he, I think he knew I was there. I think he really appreciated what I was doing. I think he got it, and um, yeah. So that was a, a massive comfort again. Mm. And it just really felt like this is worth doing. I still carried on with my rest of my forty nine days because it's a good way of processing the grief and get coming to terms with what had happened. And, you know, getting my head around what I needed to do to support mom and support my sister as well. Oh, wow. I mean, that sounds incredible and powerful. That that's something that you can do when things are happening at a physical distance as well. So that you're able to do that whilst your father was in hospital and, and you won't be able to be there. Or, you know, he may not have been aware that that you were there. So did that then sort of ultimately change the way that you then look back on your father in your younger years. Yeah, because, um, well, the interesting thing is now, um, of course, once they're dead, you suddenly think of all these things that you really wished you hadn't discussed with them. Yeah. And um, so my dad was from Ukraine and when the Second World War was kicking off, his dad said to him, join the army and go and find yourself a better life. Don't stay here. So long story short, dad ended up as a, a prisoner of war of the British, the Ukrainian unit that he was in surrendered to the British. And they he ended up coming over here. And so 
when you start to think now of what strength, what inner strength did you need to get through leaving home at four, age 14? Oh, gosh, just 14. Age 14, um, being involved in some way or another. Obviously, you know, nothing's ever talked about directly about what you have to do in a war. Yes. You have to survive. What the hardship of it in, in all sorts of ways. How do you get yourself through that? What qualities do you grow in yourself, have to cultivate, have to make sure that are present to get through to the other side? And so when I start to think about he was always a survivor. If anyone asks me, you know, what is he like? That's one of the first questions or first answers that comes into my mind. He was a survivor. And when you start to take all of those aspects of things into account, you're going, yes. And thank goodness he was able to cultivate and strengthen that part of himself. But also if you think, did he lose friends? Um, You know, were they killed in front of him? You know, when fighting was going on, does that start to make you much more Mm -hmm. self-contained? Do you withdraw a little bit from other people because bonds are awkward and dangerous things to have just in case something happens. So you start to wonder about those things and wonder how much that then influenced how he was. But having said all those things, you know, I knew he loved and cared for me. I knew he loved and cared for my mum and for my sister. So there wasn't a complete withdrawal or a wall, but you just wonder how much of those things grew as a result of those experiences how much was there before um, yeah absolutely yeah almost as kind of a, a self-preservation yes perhaps. or pa- or perhaps even a, pres- a self-preservation for you and your sister yes um yeah completely and there's so uh, there's Part of that, I think, is possibly his inherent abilities, because I know some of those abilities flow in me as well. well, Self-reliance, I suppose. Yeah. Um, So I think that was a trait that he had that was that was already there. Um, You know, he was I think he was one of 10 children. I can't quite remember how many brothers and sisters he had. But, you know, big family, peasant farmers in Ukraine, Stalin coming in and taking their land and grain and starving them eventually. So, um, you know, even before all the stuff with Stalin kicked off, you still have to be tough and resilient to live Mm -hmm. as a farmer. All you've got is the resources you can grow and produce around you in order to live on. So, um, so yeah, I think that resilient side of things is perhaps a part of, you know, how Ukrainians do things. If you think about some of the interviews that we've heard in the last year with Ukrainians that have become refugees over here, you know, you just take that your hat off to how they cope. Yeah. Yeah. They're just getting on with it, aren't they? Yeah. Getting on with it. That very much getting on with it. And that's that sort of very much if dad was to give me any advice, that would be very much the deal with the practical problem first. Um, and then, you know, worry about any emotional issues, deal with those later. And um, yeah, so I don't know. Again, that's yeah, I can definitely see him giving that advice. But in a way, it's not needed because that's that's how I am. And I think that's yeah. something I inherited off him. So the doing that, 
that meditation practice then in the early days after he died really helped you connect back in with that sense of who he, who he yeah. was. When you got, uh, what do you want to call it, a raw connection, uh, all of the all of your outside facades are not there, all of the stiff upper lips, um, you know, the face you present to the world in order to look okay, uh, you know, things are fine. All of that is not there. You're just down to the internal emotional connection that is our, well, at that stage feels like it is, it is connected and it is flowing between you. There is a bond. Um, and that was something that was, yeah, just a gorgeous, lovely feeling to have. Mm. And uh, you're finally going, you know, yes, <laughs> after all these years, we've managed to connect up in the way that that really works for both of us. And do you still have that connection? If I think of him, uh, I sort of think of him in a fairly sort of quiet, calm, I sort of understand you type of way. He's not someone that I refer to for advice. So I know after some people have lost parents, they, you know, become like a guardian angel in some sense. And people are still having conversations with them and asking them questions. And how would you do with blah, blah, blah. So I don't have that because I didn't have it anyway. So we didn't have those question and answer type relationships. Mm. So I don't have that sort of relationship with him but I do have you know there's that there's there's still that sort of thread of connection that is there and that uh, yeah I guess I suppose if I felt I needed to call on his support how would he deal with something that I think he might be able to give advice on I would probably spend some time meditating and and opening that question and um, when you look at uh, how intuition works, intuition is a combination of things which involves, part of it involves your previous experiences mm. and your uh, how you interpreted those experiences. And so when you're looking for how am I going to deal with this, those relationships are, even though they might be sort of deeply within you and not in your conscious mind yeah in the subconscious they're you know part of your dna their wisdom can still come out and be helpful informative and and help provide you with a you know a pointer in a particular direction and often with intuition it is about that unconscious wisdom within us isn't it that we don't consciously know is there but it, it you you just intuitively feel it because it's not necessarily consciously evident no and one of the really nice things about doing a regular meditation is it enables it gets you into the practice of quietening your mind so that there is not a whole load of extraneous conversation going on you can cultivate a peaceful calm quiet space and it's it's in that time that the answer can often come through just as a spontaneous message or a feeling or a, an idea. And 
if you want to i like i like having uh, my intuitive as a you know a living breathing part of what i'm doing not just something for an emergency being able to have the um what's the word the space for it to arrive in and sometimes you don't even know you've sort of asked a question in your mind but sometimes an intuitive answer to something that you've been pondering but not directly asking the question in your meditation. Sometimes just like the jing, something will come in. When I'd done the um, tree meditation work with dad, after that had worked really well with him, I then had the idea of like, well, okay, let's try it with mum as well. And her tree was a different type of tree. It was, it was something like a, a, a very old and ancient olive tree growing on a very stony mountain so it was a tree that had always struggled for life it was quite hard it was very twisty it didn't have many leaves on it and that was how I visualized how she was because of the difficulty she'd had in her life she had also had to build resiliency but in her case it was it was a very there was a very hard resiliency to it. It was very armor-like in that sense, and it was hard to get through it. So the whole visualization of realizing her childhood had been very tough, that was the reason why she grew up as she did. This was why she was like she was. She was, she, you know, was very difficult emotionally quite often. Once I'd started to picture the growing conditions of the tree and related that to her growing conditions that helped me understand her again. Um, it was a really helpful way of doing it. And as I grew in my understanding of her, it became easier to be more patient with some of her behavior because I could see, you know, she's, she's a tree in this shape and she can't change her shape. She can't be any other way than she is. So don't expect her to change. And then I had more open headspace, calmer headspace around that, which meant I was more patient, more kind in my dealings with her, which then mean, meant she wasn't quite so on the edge when she was coming back to have a conversation with me. And suddenly you could actually then have something a conversation that felt like it would be going somewhere positive and that felt you know I didn't feel like having a screaming fit afterwards and and as those uh connections between us sort of seemed to grow out I could start to imagine little green leaves growing out on the tree and it became a little greener and you know there was a little bit more water present in the roots that could come through and make things a little bit more fluid and um Yes, that was a really, really um, important part of the intuitive aspect of the meditation sort of coming through and helping me develop my relationship with her. She, My mum de developed dementia as well. And um, in the last year of her life, I, well, when we knew it was the last year of her life, I wanted to do something. I felt that the thing that I had to do was let her know that she was loved her mum had given her away to live with an aunt. So she had five brothers and sisters who stayed with her mum. She lived with her aunt as, as a servant. So there's, well, bucket loads of abandonment. Ooh, yes. And so I felt it was important that she knew that she was loved. And 
it was something that I could never say to her directly because it would have been, you know, repelled away, not accepted, not not understood sort of thing. Yeah. Um, if you showed love in our family, you showed it directly to the animals. It wasn't shown directly to human beings. It was there. I mean, it was indirect. I'm not, she did love us. I know that. Yeah. But um, it wasn't something where you go, I love you and give people a hug. It wasn't that. So in the last year of my meditation, I've been saying to her within my meditation, I love you. And and sending that connection to her. And again, there has been that sense that the connection has been happening and she has felt it. And uh, so it is really important to me to get to that point where I could say it to her. And that was something that has happened gradually over this last year, the ability to say it and feel that she was feeling it. And- um, Oh, that's beautiful, Anya. Yeah, so I think- I think it worked because um, when I was spending time with her in her last days, she knew I was there. And even though her consciousness was drifting in and out, because we'd had this, the metaphysical connection, uh, which I was, I was trying to maintain that whilst I'm sitting there with her. Again, it felt like it was working and that there was a way in which she knew I was there. She knew she was loved. And you're hoping and wishing or enabling her as much as she can to leave this body and go on to the next state of reality as easily as possible. You know, this body is done. It, it can't do any more. It's time to leave this one and, and go on. And that also, you know, reassuring her that me and my sister, we are loved, we are cared for, we're safe. So you know, you can, you can leave. It's time for you to go. Mm. Oh, do you know what? that kind of just blows my mind really. And as, as you were talking now, I was just reflecting as well on, you know, particularly over the last three years, how many, you know, families have been separated at time of death because of the pandemic and, you know, the, the way that, that that all happened. And, for those people to have been able to have maintained that, had that metaphysical communication, how much comfort and solace that that could bring. Yeah. And particularly it, in case, you know, as you say, with in your both your experiences with your parents having dementia, there is the physical, the actual being connection isn't necessarily there, but to be able to have that metaphysical connection yes it's something isn't it it is otherwise you think you've got nothing and that is a very uh empty painful place to be and if you can feel that there is something that you can do that helps something that's comforting for both of you it just it just helps get through obviously what is you know one of the most difficult things you, you can you can go through so yes it's 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 a great way for doing it. And then also just on the really you know, bog standard practical side, meditation does have evidence for growing the grey matter in your brain for it developing. And that can be, they're thinking it can be protective against dementia. So having two parents with dementia in the family, <laughs> like if I can, I'd like to try and not have it. Of course. 
And I'm thinking, you know, if, if if anybody's listening who, well, it doesn't necessarily need to be a parent, but, you know, has lost somebody close to them and, and feels like there was that disconnect and thinking, gosh, I wish I'd known that at the time. Can the meditation then help to kind of have that connection, even though it, it may be several years down the line? Yeah, I think it can, because with your meditation, you are looking to. So the initial stages are about calming your mind and getting yourself into that calm, peaceful space and being able to do that um, in a really sort of straightforward, like on command way. And once you've got that baseline with your meditation, you can start to go further into looking at how and why you think and feel and act like you do what are your triggers motivations and and all of those things and once you started to go okay I sort of understand what's going on with me a bit better now then your next stage with your meditation is starting to look at your relationships with other people whether they're here or not and that's when you can start to go well why were they like they were you know, did they have reasons like I have my reasons for why I do things? Did they have their reasons? Well, of course they did. Yeah. What reasons might they have been? So you might know some of the family history and might be able to make some extrapolations in your mind. But equally, even if you don't know the full story, a bit like I just have to imagine how dad felt because I don't know the actual story. But I can put myself in his shoes and go, well, how would I be? How what would I have to do to try and survive that? And the same with mum in her situation. If I had had that sense of abandonment, um, how would I have tried to deal with it? I may not have turned out any differently to how she did. So when you realise that actually there's a perfectly logical way of why mm. they are like they are and the way our minds work is that we're always gathering information and processing it into memories and laying those memories down. And those memories get laid down in our head as a, um, they get flavoured, they get coloured with how we see the world. If you're seeing the world from I've been abandoned, that, that flavours all things from that point. And and those that feeling gets embedded and embedded and embedded deeper and deeper into your mind. So whenever a situation happens, doesn't matter what the situation is, it's coming from that place of I need to protect myself. And um, and that, to me, explained a lot of how my mom was. And the whole, you know, I need to be self-resilient, um, self-reliant is very much explains about how my dad was. So it's it helps you understand them. And then instead of feeling that there's a barrier between you, that that barrier can dissolve away. And once you can do that with people that are quite close to you, then you can also do it with other people around you who might be being difficult. But obviously, perhaps, you know, not family, but friends or whoever, neighbours, if they're doing things that would normally annoy you or make you angry or whatever, you can start to stand back a little bit and think about, well, what are they going through that make, that's making them react like that? And then f instead of feeling that there's a barrier and a distance and there's no commonality between you, you can actually go, well, what might be happening to them 
that I can understand and maybe if I if the least I can do is just understand them that means I don't get upset myself it might not change the relationship because they're who they are and you can't physically change anything about them you can only change your own perceptions so if you can move into a way of thinking that is calmer and more understanding where you are using your own wisdom to go right well this could have happened this may be why they are like that so that's fine I can I can see how they are you know whatever they're doing is not necessarily deliberate um deliberately annoying to me that's just how it's feeling to me but actually I can let that go and that again comes back to that whole practice of meditation is very much about learning the real practice of letting go letting go of your thoughts so that your mind can come to a still calm place just temporarily because thoughts will come in again but because you know you can let them go you can come back to that still calm place and you can just keep practicing that process and one of the ways one of the ways I like to teach getting to grips with how to do that is the letting go of tension in your body so when you've got thoughts um, happening in your mind you can think of thoughts as like a movement and when you're wanting them to calm down, it's a bit like a relaxation in the same way that you would do some exercise, which is movement. And then when you want to chill out at the end and unwind, you just lie down and be still. So there's a lot of strong parallels between the mind and the body there. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Analogy. You're learning yeah. that process of letting go in your body. You can uh encourage your mind to follow suit and do the same thing and then you've got then a process that you know you can rely on when things get difficult you know what the steps are to get you down into that calm place and then if you need to have some clear thinking to sort out a problem you need to gather up the determination to sort something out that's going to be difficult you've got some resources there to to you know to get those things ready for you to use and you get those resources by first coming to that calm quiet space realizing that what needs to be done can be done and this is a way that you can do it so that to me is the biggest benefit of the meditation is not just the fact that you can sit there and have a nice chill time it's the impact you have on your own self and everybody else around you yeah, that ability, as you say, to be able to access all that inner wisdom that you don't necessarily know that you've got. Yeah. But you can tap into that. Yeah, completely. Yeah. yeah. And with everything that you were saying about in terms of doing that with regards to a relationship with another person, the word compassion was just... <laughs> but I didn't want to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, it is compassion. It's... But, of course, compassion as a word comes with a lot of baggage to it doesn't yeah. it um it can be a sort of squirmy type of word for people and it can mean people can feel like it means feeling sorry for somebody and it's not that it's it's just having um the stepping into their shoes ability it's yeah. having an idea of what they're going through and yes they may be feeling sad and that might make you feel sad when you of feeling that compassion for them but sadness is is uh, is an emotion that is absolutely fine and normal to have and it doesn't have to stay stuck you can acknowledge the sadness and let it go 
one of my long-term patients um, who I've been treating every three weeks for three years. She died a couple of weeks ago and I talked to her, phoned her husband to see why she hadn't come to an appointment because I sort of had a feel and he confirmed that she had just died. And that made me incredibly sad. Mm. Um, but that was the sadness that is appropriate to that situation. And But it goes once you've... Once it's been there and you acknowledge it and it's the right and proper way to feel in that situation, it can go. It doesn't have to stay stuck. So it doesn't have to be an emotion that you're afraid of. And the same with tears. People have a bit of resistance around having tears. Yeah. But you don't have to because they are a way that your body, for an acupuncturist, uh, a tears are a way of releasing the pain of your heart. And so if tears feel like they need to come out, just let them come out. There may not be an obvious reason at that moment, but if they're coming, just let them go because in that way you're releasing a burden that doesn't need to be there. And so, um, yeah, I do get a bit of funny what looks when people, when I start to say to my patients, yeah, cry, go for it. It's a tissue. And um, well, that's reminding yeah. me of, of some research well it was it was a, a photographic research that they where they put different teardrops under a microscope and depending upon the emotion that was being felt when the tears were produced they were very different in their molecular structure it That's was you know so that the tears of joy and happiness you know they were very you know they were they were, they were just different to those tears that had been shed through sadness and they then were different to the tears that were shed through frustration or anger. Yeah, I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. That is really fascinating because there's all sorts of reasons why tears come up and that, yeah, the fact that there's a difference to them, <clears throat> it just makes perfect sense because whilst it's the same process the reasons behind them isn't always the same it's really interesting I was just talking of tears actually my mum passed away about a month ago and we did her she donated her body to medical science she's um, now with King's College London educating the next um, generation of doctors nurses surgeons dentists and acupuncturists and um so we didn't have a body and we didn't have any ashes to have a ceremony with. And yeah. my mum wasn't in any way religious. So I created a ceremony based around a mandala that we did in the woodland where next to where her and dad used to live when they were first married. So you create this circle in the ground, um, fill it with leaves and sticks that you have chosen that have a you know particular resonance for you. I'd had... Um, uh, a wreath made out of hazel twigs and I'd got some British grown tulips. So we each had a tulip. We put the wreath in the centre of the mandala and then we said farewell to mum. And, he, you know, as we put our tulip in that centre of the mandala. And that was a really appropriate to mum because she loved nature. She loved flowers. She loved being outdoors. Really appropriate uh, and lovely way of saying goodbye to her. And even though she died a month ago and you think that the tears have finished, of course, when you actually come to that actual ceremony of saying farewell, 
those tears are there again. Of course. What a beautiful way to have been able to deal with that, with not having the ability to have the the more sort of mainstream rituals of saying goodbye with a with a funeral and um, you know either a burial or cremation or whatever. Yeah, I mean, as we know from COVID, a lot of people missed that ability to mm. say the goodbye to someone because of the restrictions on who could go to funerals. And so if there was a well-known alternative, then maybe people could have done it. So that was, so that, I know people have given me some strange looks about my mum donating her body. It's not a comfortable thing for a lot of people to contemplate. But um, as an acupuncturist, I've, I've done work at Guy's Hospital in the anatomy labs and it's an incredible privilege and an amazingly beautiful thing to look inside a real body as opposed to just looking at a diagram. There's yes. no for it. So I'm incredibly proud of her for, for doing, for making that donation. Yeah. And what a what a legacy mm. to leave. Yes, completely. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's um yeah, so I just wanted to sort of share that it is possible still to have and important still to have that goodbye ritual, but you don't necessarily have to have it necessarily have to have it with their body or their ashes. So important. Thank you so much for for sharing that. I'm really glad you were, you know, you were able to find such a beautiful way to to honor her passing. And and that kind of just makes me curious actually. I suppose two things to ask you. Firstly, if somebody is interested in donating that body to science, you know, is there one place that people could go and find out about that? If you Google um, about donating your body, there are certain institutions that are licensed to accept them. So they cover different regions of the country. So um, you have to then fill in an application form and give your permission so you can donate your body for just three years and then they'll they will cremate it and tell you you can go to the cremation or you can have the body back and cremate it yourself. Or you can donate indefinitely. So mum's donated indefinitely, but you you have to be of sound mind. Of course, Uh, yes. There needs to be a witness to it. So it's a bit like doing a will to some degree. So mum did her paperwork in 2017. There are quite a lot of provisos on why they may not take a body. So even though they um, need donations, there's um, various conditions where they won't take them and and timings. Like we always used to laugh and say, don't die at a weekend, mum, because you can't take a body. So because they need to talk to the doctor and assess the whole situation before they decide it's a safe thing and an appropriate thing to take the body. So, yeah, so mum died on the Monday. I phoned the college on the Monday and they had a chat with the doctor. I think they got back to me on the Wednesday and confirmed that they would take her. um, And then they collected her on the Friday. So, yeah, just Google. I want to donate my body. Um, How do I do that? And then they'll come up. Can't remember what the page was called, but there is a page which says, you know, if you're in the north, it's here. If you're in the right. south, blah blah. Um, and then you follow their processes, do the paperwork, keep it somewhere where, and obviously where other people know where it is. Of course, yes. And, um, and yeah. do it that way. And absolutely key to that your wishes are are known by those people who are likely to be dealing with you or your body. 
time of death. Yeah, I mean, I can I can still understand people feeling uncomfortable about it because it can be a, an uncomfortable prospect um, for certain. So yeah, you whoever's going to be in charge, they they've really got to understand your reasons for wanting to do it. Yes. Oh well, I'm I'm so glad for your mum's sake that she was she was accepted. Yeah, no, it's really, really brilliant. Um, Yeah, couldn't be couldn't be happier on that front. Just very proud of her for for doing it and for her creating those opportunities for people to learn which are irreplaceable. Yes. Oh, goodness. I wasn't expecting that (laughs) that to uh, to come up in our conversation today. But just to sort of bring it back to the to the meditation and um, sort of to bring things to a close. If somebody isn't, they haven't really done meditation before, but they're interested in doing that, what would be the best way? I mean, is it is it, you know, something that you can teach yourself? Is it best to find a teacher? You know, are there books? What's how, how can people get involved more with it and, and find you know, use it learning. as a practice? Yeah, the best way of learning is to learn from a teacher. So to do guided meditation to begin with. So um, I've got a nine breath meditation, which is a free download on my on my website, which takes you through um, a breathwork meditation, which is a really nice step by step way of calming your mind. And that's the best way to start. It's not easy to learn from books because you'll have experiences and you'll want to check that they're the right experiences with your teacher. So when you uh, start meditating and you are of the mind that it's about calming and clearing your mind and stopping thoughts coming in, which it is, except that you can't stop thoughts coming in. You can slow them down and you can create spaces around them. But, you know, I've been meditating for what 14, 15 years, thoughts still come into my mind. So thoughts Uh, But you don't have to get uptight about it. And that's the stage where you get to eventually is you accept the thought is coming through, but then you're back into, all right, I'll let it go. That's where having a teacher can be really helpful because you can go, I've been, you know, I've been meditating and I keep thinking about this, that and the other and it's not working. And it is working because now you're actually really paying attention to your thoughts. Suddenly you go, ah, there's all this stuff coming in all the time and it's so busy in there and it's overwhelming. And you go, yeah, okay. so now you can just see a reason and you've got a real motivation to try and let things go. And so having a discussion like that with your teacher and some tips on how to further refine and tweak your practice so that the letting go feels like it's happening. Yeah. Working with a teacher is is irreplaceable, really. Yeah. And I guess with all of these things that are good for our well-being, it's it's really important to practice them even when you know during the good times so that actually when you do really need to draw on them for strength and resilience or whatever other thing that you need them for you've got you know that sort of muscle strength in them already so completely yeah so you're not waiting for the time to be right just start because there is no the time is right and if you you don't have to wait until you feel good to start because you can start when things are feeling difficult and then that will take you towards a, a, a good time. But having that consistency there is just like any other skill. 
you need to be able to draw on it and your mind needs to go, oh, you, these are the things that I do to get from here to here. Um, and I don't need to think about it just like you don't need to think about, you know, holding a knife and fork and eating anymore. Yeah. It just it happens. And so that is when that can happen, when things are good, it might need a little bit more thinking and cultivating when things are tough. But, you know, the pathway to get you there and it will get you there. So it's just the same as doing exercise, of course. You know, you want to be able to do things that are good for your physical health um, and going for a walk every day getting some fresh air and green space is an incredibly powerful thing to do. And doing some meditation is, is exactly the same as that. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your experience and, um, you know, having this really fantastic conversation about the power of, of meditation. So if people want to find out more about you or to download your nine step process that you have what's what's the best way to get in contact with you so my website is www.wisdom-mind.co.uk so the free downloads are all on the home page so they sort of just pop up um, when you're on there um so yeah you can download them from there for free and um get stuck in straight away <laughs> brilliant advice <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Anya. It's been a really interesting conversation. And yeah, it certainly prompted me to go and be a bit more consistent with the with my own not very consistent meditation practice. <laughs> yeah, part of it is is having a structure around it so that you know that you are doing something useful and developmental. So just doing the same thing to, over and over and over and over and over again. I would get bored of that. It just doesn't work. So yeah. one of the reasons that I've kept going for as long as I have is there's always a little something that I'm working on um, yeah. and trying to be, you know, cultivate, strengthen or do less of whatever it is that I'm trying to do. That structure really helps. And that's yeah. another reason for the teacher. Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking that <laughs> I need to go find myself a teacher or maybe I have. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome to come along. Oh, thank you so much, Anya. Thanks for having me, Rachel. It's been brilliant talking to you today. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, thanks, Anya. What an interesting conversation. I never quite know what topics will get shared. That was really interesting. Thank you. And if this resonates with you, please do check out Anya's free resources on her website. Details are in the episode notes. Thank you so much to everyone who supports me in the production of this podcast, Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and of course to you, the listener. I'll be back soon with another lesson from Lost.